of your one that you are coveting to pray for, to uh, invest your life in that person. And as God gives you an opportunity to share Christ with that person, you can just lay it up here on the, on the uh, floor before the cross and we'll see to it that it's attached to the cross. So if you haven't done that, then please do so. Amen. You know, last Sunday, 85 members of our church passed in their name, the name of their one that they're going to intentionally pray for, uh, build a relationship with, and hopefully um, having a conversation with that person about Jesus Christ. And 85 names have already been attached to the cross up front, and we're excited about that. So uh, you found your one, and this morning I just want to encourage you to start fishing for your one. Remember the acronym FISH, find your one? Well, many of you have already done that. You've already found your one. I invest in that person's life, uh, get to know them better, do good to them, be their friend. S, share your own life with them. Share your testimony with them. And then, as God gives you an opportunity to share Jesus with them. And then, help your one trust Christ as Savior and then grow in Him. You know, during the course of um, these weeks, you're going to have some stories to tell. And we're going to give you opportunity to tell your stories about the conversations that you have with your one. And we're going to give you opportunity uh, to do that. And in the coming weeks, we're going to have a invite your one to church, okay? That you will have an opportunity to invite that one to come with you at church. I'm just excited about what God's going to do because this is discipleship. People ask all the time, what is discipleship? That's discipleship. That's what God has called us to do as followers of Jesus Christ. He has called us to go fishing. The great missionary... William Carey once preached a sermon entitled, Expect Great Things from God. Expect Great Things from God. And let me just ask you, are you expecting God to do great things as you pray for your one, as you seek to invest your life into that person? Are you expecting God to do great things as you fish? Now, how many fishers of fish do we have here today? If you love to fish, just raise your hand. I want to see your hand. Okay, that's a lot of us, you know. There's one thing true. You can't fish, you can't catch fish without fishing. It's impossible, isn't it? It's impossible. Well, neither can you catch your one without fishing for them, without fishing for them. You know, the last two Sundays that we met together, we met some followers of Jesus who were intentional about fishing for their one. Uh, the first group of believers that we met were the four guys who brought their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And they were determined, they were absolutely determined to get their friend to Jesus. And they expected Jesus to do great things in the life of their friend. But you know, Jesus did a whole lot more for their friend than they expected. Because not only did Jesus heal the paralyzed man, but also he saved him as well. He forgave their sins and he left a new person in Jesus Christ. And secondly, we met Andrew, who brought his big brother to Jesus. 
you know, immediately after uh, Andrew became a follower of Jesus, immediately he found his brother, his big brother, and he brought him face to face with Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know what happened. Um, Peter came to know Christ and became a disciple of Jesus Christ. I don't say great things happen when you find your one and you pray for that one and you develop a relationship with that one and then you seek to have a conversation with your one. Great things happen when you fish for your one. Now, I want to share with you some reasons uh, you need to fish for your one. Um, this is going to be a grocery list, okay? It's going to be a grocery list. I'm going to give you eight reasons why you need to fish for your one. I'm not used to this kind of preaching. I love expository preaching. Well, you aren't going to hear it today. I'm going to be all over the place, okay? But I'm going to share with you eight reasons why you and I need to fish for your one. And I promise you, each one of these reasons is so, so very important. The first reason you need to fish for your one is because your one is perishing. Your one is perishing. I want you to listen to what Psalm 9 verse 17 says. Psalm chapter 9 verse 17 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations, all the nations, all the people that forget God. Just think about that. All the people that forget God shall be turned into in the hell. You know, the Bible is very, very clear that if you leave God out of your life and you reject the grace of God and refuse to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're lost and you're headed to hell. The final destiny of all those without Christ is hell. And I say that with great sadness, but it is so, so true. Of course, it's not culturally and politically correct to say it. You know, people would say, oh, man, if you believe that, you're just being intolerant. Uh, you're just being narrow-minded. You're just being mean-spirited. No, the very opposite is true. If you know someone that's out with, without Christ, and if you know that person is lost and headed for a Christless eternity, it's mean-spirited for you not to try to reach that person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. People say, well, you know, God is a God of love, doesn't John 3.16 say, for God so loved the world? Well, yes, it did, does. God is a God of love. You know, and people say, well, you know, God wouldn't send anyone to a devil's hell, would he? Well, you know, John 3.16 does say God loves everyone. But if you read on in John 3.18... It goes on to say, He that believes in Him, that is Jesus, is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already. And see, God is a God of love, we know that, but He is also a holy God who must judge sin. In fact, that's why God sent His Son Jesus into this world. He sent Jesus to be our, what, sin bearer. On the cross, what happened? Jesus, He bore our sin. Jesus took our place on that cross. The gospel has good news, and it also has bad news. Now, the good news is about Jesus, okay? Uh, about his love. He died on the cross as our sin bearer. He bore the penalty 
for sinners, okay? We know that. He rose again from the dead in proof that his death did pay the price for sin. And if we believe in him, we have eternal life. But the bad news is about us, okay? Good news is about Jesus. The bad news is about us. The Bible says we're sinners, and sin has a penalty, and that's separation from God. And if we refuse to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and put our trust in Him, we are eternally separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. I don't think that we have even begun to comprehend the horrors of hell. I mean, hell is beyond our comprehension. The Bible describes hell in this way, as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Just imagine that, weeping. I, I wonder, why is it weeping? Maybe it's because these who were in hell had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to trust Christ, but they didn't. And there's so much regret. Gnashing of teeth speaks of torment. Hell is a place where the fire is not quenched. You mean, Pastor, you literally believe that hell is a place of fire and brimstone. I do with all my heart. Jesus taught it, and I believe it. The blackness of darkness forever. I've heard people say, oh, man, when we get to hell, we're going to have just a wonderful time. Uh, All our buddies, we're going to get together, and we're going to have drinking parties, and we're going to just have a great time. No, hell is the blackness of darkness forever. A person in hell is all alone in the total darkness of hell. Also, hell is described as separation from the presence of God forever. And I think that is the most horrible, horrible description that there could be of hell. Separated from the very glory and the presence of God forever and ever and ever. Now, folks, the fact that people are lost without Jesus and are on the broad road that leads to destruction, shouldn't that stir our hearts to reach our one for Jesus Christ? Shouldn't that stir our hearts to reach just that one person for Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes I wonder, and I include myself, if we really believe in hell. Oh, I'm sure we believe it in our head. You know, we have our doctrine straight. We know that the Bible teaches that there's a heaven and there's a hell. We have our doctrine straight, but do we really believe it in our heart? Do we really believe it in our heart? And I believe that if we did, I think we'd do more fishing. I think we'd do more fishing. There's a second reason we need to, we need to um, fish for our one, and that is Christ's love is compelling you to fish for your one. Christ's love is compelling you to fish for your one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Controls us. Now, if you're a believer, the love of Christ is in you. I like what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, The love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, Paul says, the love of Christ controls us. That word control means to push out. That's what it means. It means to push out. And what I think Paul is saying is that the love of Christ is pushing us out into the world to share his love. 
He's literally pushing us out into the world to share his love. In other words, we must not keep the good news inside the walls of the church, but we need to take it where it belongs, outside the walls of the church. You know, there's a hymn that asks the question, does Jesus care? Does Jesus care? Well, the lyrics of that song really answers the question. And it says, yes, Jesus care. Yes, Jesus care. Does Jesus care for lost people? Yes. He showed us how much he cared. He went to the cross for us and died for us. But the real question is, do we care? Do we care? Do we care about those around us without Jesus? Do we care that they're lost? Do we care that there are family members within our own family that's lost without Christ? Do we really care about the person that we put on that card? Do we care enough to be intentional about reaching our one for Jesus Christ? Yes, Christ's love is compelling us. And then thirdly, Jesus is commanding us, commanding us to fish for your one. Jesus is commanding you to fish for your one. The last words that Jesus Christ spoke on this earth before he went back to heaven are these. Matthew 28, 19. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In fact, this command is for us today as much as it was for the disciples 2,000 plus years ago. In other words, this command of Jesus is still going out today to you and to me. It's God's plan for all believers, not just some, you know, not just the pastors, not just the deacons, not just the evangelists, not just the ordained men, but it's God's plan for all of us to be a witness for Jesus Christ. It is the great commission. But you know, for most Christians, it's more like the great omission, really. Because few Christians, few Christians, take it really seriously. Some time ago, I came across a little form. Uh, It's called the Great Commission Exemption Form. You know, it was kind of like a a tax exemption form, you know. And uh, it's a little form that you can check off any reason you feel that you are exempt from sharing the gospel. And I thought it was very illuminating to see what these reasons are. Reason number one, you could check off. I don't know what to say. I can't witness. I don't know what to say. Number two, I can't do it. I witness with my life. I can witness with my life. I don't need to say anything. Number three, I can't do it. I get too nervous and upset. Number four, evangelism is not my gift. I don't have that gift. And then number five, I'm afraid somebody will get mad with me. I'm afraid that I might offend someone. Folks, there are no exemptions from the Great Commission. There's no exemptions from the Great Commission. God has called all of us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Why witness? Your one is perishing. Christ's love is compelling you. Jesus is commanding you. And then fourthly, your position in Christ is urging you to fish 
for your one. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You know, what, what is an ambassador? Well, an ambassador is a representative who speaks for a president maybe a prime minister or a king. And I want you to notice that God's Word says that we, plural, He says, we, Christians, are ambassadors for Christ. It doesn't say we should be. It doesn't say we ought to be. It doesn't say might. It says we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. In other words, you and I are representatives of Jesus Christ, whether for good or or bad, but we are representatives. We represent Jesus. We speak for Him. We are His spokesman to the people of this world. In fact, you know, Jesus has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. He has no mouth but our mouth. We're the body of Christ. And we're to be His spokesman in this world. You know, it must be a great honor to be called upon to be an ambassador to a king or to a president or to a prime minister. But my friend, the greatest honor of all is to be an ambassador for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. What are we to do? We're to speak up for him. We're to speak up for Jesus. You know, there are no silent ambassadors uh, you know, what it would be like, what it would be like if an ambassador maybe went to um, uh, Great Britain or France or Spain or something like that, and they just stayed in their, their beautiful, luxurious suite and said absolutely nothing. I don't think they would have that job long, would they? No. No, they, they speak for the king, they speak for the prime minister, and we're to speak for Jesus Christ. Well, what are we to say? Well, Paul tells us right here in 2 Corinthians 5.20 what we're to say. We implore you, we beg you, be reconciled to God. What are we to do? We are to encourage people to put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Well, fifthly, we are to... Fish for our one because our Christian duty is pressing you to do it. Our Christian duty is pressing you to fish for your one. Now, Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 8 and 9, is one of the most somber verses that really ought to keep you up at night if you take it to heart. This is what it says. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man... You shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked of his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now that's a sober verse. It really is. I think it speaks to our duty as Christians to warn the lost of coming judgment. And what this verse is really saying is simply this. If I know a person is lost, I know. And, you know, I can just think in my mind, lost people that I know. And I have the opportunity to 
share my faith with that person to talk about Jesus. But for one reason or another, I decide that I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. I'm afraid or it might offend or something like that. And that person goes to hell. I'm going to have to answer one day to God about that. Now, folks, that, that is a sober, sobering thought. But if I warn him, if I warn him, then I've done all that God requires of me. In other words, we aren't called upon to save anybody. That's God's job. Our job is to be the mouthpiece. Our job is to represent Jesus, to speak out for him. Why fish for your one? Your one is perishing. Christ's love is compelling you. Jesus is commanding you. Your position in Christ is urging you. Your Christian duty is pressing you. Number six, the mission field is calling you to fish for your one. The mission field is calling you to fish for your one. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, um, Do not say, There's still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. I believe what Jesus is saying is simply this. You don't have to sign up with the IMB, International Mission Board, or NAM to find your mission field. I think what Jesus is saying, your mission field, my mission field is all around us. I say, God has brought, listen, God has brought the mission field to us. You know, it wasn't too long ago that this was a wilderness church. I mean, we were way out in the country. Man, I mean, you could hardly see the light of day around here. But things are changing now. Things are changing. God is bringing the mission field to us, to our very doorsteps. Listen to this. Did you know that 170,000 people die in our world every single day? 170,000 people die, not in America, but the whole world, every day. That's 120 people every minute. And when you think about that, the great majority are lost and will pass out in eternity without knowing Jesus Christ. Listen to this. Over 80% of the people in South Carolina do not go to church. The great majority of these don't know Christ. Did you know that 90% Berkeley County doesn't have a good record? I promise you that. Over 90% of the people in Berkeley County don't go to church. And chances are that the great majority of these are lost without Jesus Christ. Now, those are the cold, hard facts. And there's only one thing going to change it. We can't expect them to come here. We cannot expect, we can't put a sign out there and say, you lost people, come. We can't do that. The only thing that's going to change it is for you and me, get out there, get out in the community, at the workplace, the school, wherever we might be, get out there and start fishing. That's the only thing that's going to change it. Don't point your finger at somebody and say it's their job. No, it's our job to do it. Jesus says, go fish. That's not a card game. <laughs> go fish. Fish for souls.
Do you remember the story of the Macedonian call in Acts chapter 16? Great story. A man from Macedonia, which is modern-day Europe, appeared to Paul in a night vision, begging him to come over here and help us. Of course, we know that God gave Paul that vision. And Paul obeyed God's vision, God's call, and people were saved all through what is now modern-day Europe, and churches were planted all over what is now modern-day Europe. Now, just think about it. If Paul had not obeyed this Macedonian call, the gospel would have never come to our shores. Never would have. If he had not obeyed God's call to take the gospel to Europe, the gospel would have never gotten to our shores because the gospel came to us from that very place, from Europe. And the Macedonian call is still going out today, strong and hard. There are people all around us calling out for us to come over here and help us. Now, they might not realize that they need Jesus. They might not realize that they need help. Oh, but they do. You can see it in their eyes. You can see the hopelessness of so many people, the fear in people's eyes, the hopelessness of people who have no meaning, have no purpose. And folks, we have what they need. Not religion, not the church. We have Jesus. And we need to share it with them. Will we help them? The question is, will we go outside the walls of this church with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, there's a seventh reason. There's a seventh reason you need to fish for your one. Hell is begging you to fish for your one. In Luke chapter 16, we have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. I want us to read it together, beginning at verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. More even, the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, or hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in his manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between you, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that they may 
warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he says, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Now listen to what Abraham says. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, folks, here we see the reality of heaven and hell. Lazarus, he died and went to heaven, not because he was poor, but because he was in a right relationship with God. And then the rich man died and went to hell, not because he was rich, but because he was not in a right relationship with God. And here we see this man in hell. It's an awful sight. It really is. This man is, is literally burning in the flames of hell and crying out for someone to go to his five lost brothers to warn them not to come to this terrible place. Now, folks, I've, I've thought about this many, many times. I really have. Could this mean, could this mean right now in hell, there are people, maybe you know and I know, crying out to us, begging us to go and warn their loved ones not to come to this terrible place called hell? I believe that is true. My friend, even in hell, there's concern for lost souls. And then finally... Heaven is encouraging you to fish for your one. Heaven is. Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I just believe that just just a huge party breaks out in heaven. Every time a sinner repents and comes to Christ as Savior. Well, see, the, the Bible tells us that angels are always observing us. Well, see, they, they've never experienced this salvation that we've experienced and all of this. And, and they learn it from us. Sometimes I wonder what in the world we're teaching them. But they are constantly observing us, you know, trying to understand what God is doing in the life of the church. And the angels and the saints of God, they rejoice every time a person is saved. I heard a guy say once, he was a church leader, he says, you know, I very rarely lead anybody to Christ. He says, the the angels faint every time I lead somebody to Jesus. But you know, folks, whether we make the angels rejoice or the angels faint, we need to be intentional about sharing the gospel with our one. See, there's concern for the lost in hell. There's concern for the lost in heaven. But so often there is little concern for the lost in the church. Let me ask you again, have you found your one? You say, I have. His, her, his or her name is right here on this board. Well, let's start fishing. Because if all we did is put a name on the board, it's going to accomplish absolutely nothing. You, you realize that, and I do too. We're just fooling ourselves. Okay, you have your one. 
Now let's start fishing. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we just, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth. Lord, we thank you that you've called us. You've called us to be a witness for you. And we can all do that. The least we can do is to invite them here to come and hear the gospel for themselves. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in fishing for our one. Oh God, I believe you're going to do great things in the days, the weeks, the months ahead as we fish for our one. Lord, help us to be faithful in that. And my friend, could you be here today and you realize that you're the one that needs to be fished for? Maybe you have a, a manner of religion and, and all of this, but you know in your heart of hearts you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never repented of your sins and turned to Christ. My friend, your life can be totally turned around today. If you admit your sin, turn to Christ and ask Him to save your soul, forgive your sins. Tell Him that you believe that Jesus died for you and rose again from the dead. Be willing to turn from your own way, your own sin, and turn to Christ. My friend, if that's what you need, you can trust Christ today. Just ask Him to save you. Right now, ask Him to be your Savior. He will. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the cure for a world without Jesus. Lord, help us to be faithful in sharing that good news wherever we go. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.